Please remain standing while we hear the Lord's word this morning. If you'd like to turn there, it's in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses uh, 15 through 20. Obviously, there's some context uh, missing a little bit, but we'll talk about that in just a second. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, uh, the flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of our Lord, it endures forever. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the reading of our Lord's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty Lord and God in heaven, as we come before your word, may you reveal to us your glory, your goodness, your amazing grace. May you remind us, Lord, of who we serve. And may you turn our hearts away from everything that seeks to distract us, from every idol that our heart manufactures. May you allow us, Lord, and help us by your spirit to fixate upon Christ and Christ alone so that everything else may melt away. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So have you ever wondered uh, what a Christian hymn would sound like back in the first century? Well, today's your lucky day because this is probably pretty close uh, to what we would expect them to be singing uh, at that time. Here in this letter to Colossians, uh, Paul drops this hymn. And it's pretty, there's lots of debate about whether Paul himself wrote it or whether uh, Paul took an existing hymn and used it for his purposes. Uh, but either way, right, it's easy to tell who this hymn is about. It's about Jesus. And for context, uh, right, Paul is writing this letter of Colossians because they are facing false teaching. He has never visited this church. They don't know Paul face to face. They've heard of him and they have contact through someone that Paul has trained. But the Colossian church is facing a deep struggle. This church mainly made up of Gentiles, of people who are coming from, from pagan backgrounds, who are coming with a lot of baggage about spirituality Uh, They are prone and susceptible to false teachers who seek to lead them astray uh, with things that sound good, with philosophies and teachings that drive them to worship someone other than Jesus. 
And we're not exactly sure what the false teaching is. We're not sure who they are. But it's clear uh, that Paul is addressing the Colossians at the core of the problem. He sees that there's something deeper. That it's not just the outward false teaching. It's that the Colossian church lacks spiritual maturity. They lack the maturity to be able to understand what is false and what is true. And instead of right on addressing all the false teaching, instead of just powering through and saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, first Paul makes the case for Jesus. He makes the case that you should be worshiping Jesus alone and nobody else. That is the core of our faith. So he teaches the Colossian church. First he teaches them about prayer uh, in the opening verses, verses 3 through 14. And now he writes this hymn in verses 15 through 20 to tell them about the one that they pray to. And this hymn shows us that everything revolves around Jesus. And Paul splits uh, this hymn into two parts. The first part is verses 15 and 16. And in this uh, first half, Paul shows uh, the Colossian church about Jesus' relationship to creation. And then in the second half, which is verses 18, 19, and 20, that is uh, Jesus' relationship to new creation. And right smack in the middle, verse 17 is the corner. It's the middle of the whole hymn. It's what everything revolves around, where it says that in him, all things hold together. So let's look at these two halves. Let's look at Jesus' relationship to creation and his relationship to new creation and how everything uh, holds together in Christ. So this first section, verses 15 and 16, uh, Paul starts by saying, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. There's a a couple of ways that Paul is talking about Jesus, a couple of things he means by calling Jesus the image of the invisible God. Uh, First, is that he is saying Jesus, the Son of God, makes God visible. What is invisible, what is hidden from us, what is unknown to us, the Son of God reveals and makes him known. He is the image. He is uh, the one we see. So that when we look to the Son of God, when we look to Jesus, we are looking to God. We are looking at the Lord who has revealed himself to his creation. Who has lowered himself so that he can be known by them. And the second thing that I think Paul means is he's saying that the Son of God is thus the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to the invisible God. There is no other path. There's no alternative route that you can take. You can't listen to a philosophy and see how God is working through that. You have to look at Jesus and see how Jesus is showing you God. See how he is revealing the invisible Lord. He is the mediator between God and man. Nobody else and nothing else even comes close. And then Paul calls him in the second part of verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Now, there was a debate uh, centuries ago about what this phrase meant. What does it mean that he's the firstborn of all creation? 
Some would say, well, this means that he's the first created being, obviously, because he's the first to be born. That's what it says. But that's not true. Instead, what this means is that Jesus, being the firstborn of creation, means that he holds the rights of the firstborn, which means that he is the inheritor of all creation. All creation legally belongs to Jesus. And why? Verse 16. For by him all things were created. He is the heir of all things because he made all things. Because all things belong to him by virtue of being his, by being made by him. I think one of the dangers, though, is as soon as I start saying all things this many times, it starts to mean nothing, right? And same for Paul's hearers. And so Paul elaborates and says, For by him all things are created, whether in heaven or on earth, whether they're visible things or invisible things, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, everything that we see was made by Jesus and was made for Jesus. And everything invisible, all the realities that we are not able to, to see, whether they're angels or demons or heaven or, or whatever you can think of, was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Everything that was outside of our control is in his control. And I think this is an important point for the Colossian church. Because part of their fear, part of their susceptibility to false teaching was they were afraid that there are hidden powers and spiritual forces that they could not control and they were prone to fall prey to. Life was about mitigating risks. It was about preventing uh, unseen forces from harming you. And the way you do this is through ritual. You'd make sacrifices to the lesser gods. You'd, you'd offer something to uh, the demon so that he wouldn't curse you. Uh, when you harvest, when you plant, all these times, all these seasons, uh, you would do these rituals to protect yourself. But Paul says, everything that you're afraid of, everything that you can't see and that you're worried is affecting your life, it was not only made by Jesus, but he rules over it. And their purpose, the reason for existing, is for him. So you don't need special protection. You don't need to cover your bases and make sure that the demons are not going to curse you or that the things that are outside of your control, you don't need to worry and be anxious about these things. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, is the firstborn of all of those things. He rules over them. In other words, to sum all this up, this first section of the hymn shows us that Jesus is Lord of creation. He is the Lord of all things that were created. And then Paul moves on. We're going to skip 17 and come back to it. And Paul moves on in verse 18. 
And he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. So if the first section of the hymn is about Jesus' relationship to creation, this is about Jesus' relationship to new creation. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, when he was resurrected, he changed everything. He was the first of something new. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. He's still the same Lord of creation, right? But now in his resurrection, uh, there is a new creation that is happening. Something new is happening. Something has changed. Because he is the first to have died and then rose again to glory. He is, in other words, then the source for all resurrection. Because he is the beginning. He is the trailblazer. He is the source, the initiator. All these syllables, uh, what's the word for, I forget. When the words mean the same thing, but they're different. He is all of those things because he was raised first. And as firstborn of the dead, he is then the inheritor of the dead. In the same way that he rules then over creation, now he rules over new creation in the same way. And the end of verse 18. And why? That in everything, he might be preeminent. This means uh, that Jesus, in his resurrection, holds the highest rank. He is holding the highest position. He is the head of the body. The most important, the first, uh, the highest. And so as he is Lord of creation so in his new creation he is the lord the ruler the inheritor the source and for us as we look to him as his body he for us is the means by which we too will be resurrected we look to jesus to see what we will become because he was fully man and his resurrection He paved the path for us, his people. And so Paul says in verse 19, For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell. And if you notice, I just skipped saying of God. Uh, The reason for that is that doesn't show up in the the Greek. The ESV and most other translations will put it in there uh, because it's assumed that's what Paul means, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And they get that because later on in chapter 2, Paul will say that specifically. He'll say the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, But here, he just says the fullness. So there's there's two ways that we could then take it. The first way we could take this uh, is that Jesus was fully God when he died and was resurrected. Because all the fullness of God was dwelling in him at that time. The problem is, that's a true statement, but that doesn't really take into account the fact that Paul is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Jesus as the Lord of new creation. And so I think there's another way we can take this in the context of his resurrection. 
in the context of his preeminence over all things. I think Paul is saying that Jesus, in his resurrection, became the fullest that a human could be. He became the fullest that a human can be in relationship to God. That when we look to Jesus and see him in his resurrection glory, he is now everything that we will be. He is now everything that humans should have been were it not for the fall. That he is now full and perfect and complete and dwelling in the presence of God forever, ruling forever. And because he is the head of the body, we the body will be brought with him into this same fullness. That if we want to be full, if we want to be at peace, there is no other path except through Jesus, except through him, through his death, and through his resurrection. And we see that in verse 20. And through him, the Son of God, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, the cross and the blood of the cross is what reconciled what had been torn apart by sin what had been broken, what had been emptied by the fall, Jesus reconciled and fixed and restored and even made something new. And with the repetition right, of heaven and earth, Paul is, is tying this whole hymn into a, a nice little knot. He's linking the two halves so that we see that even as he is Lord of creation, now he is the Lord of new creation. Whether it's heaven or on earth, everything through him finds its reconciliation through the cross. Through the price that he paid of his blood. And he made peace. He fixed the rift between creation and its creator and made peace through his sacrifice because he paid the price that his creatures could not afford. He shed his blood so that his people would not have to, so that they would find everything that they need in him. They don't need to go looking for another way. They don't need to be afraid that they're going to be tricked, that they're going to be harmed by some uh, demon or some alternative spiritual force. They don't need to be afraid of things that are outside of their control. Why? Verse 17. The middle point of the whole, uh, the whole hymn. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By the, the structure of the hymn, it's almost like Paul is, with verse 17, linking old creation and new creation by the Lord who rules over them both. It is in him that all things hold together. 
which is another way to say everything has its purpose, its meaning, its fullness in Christ alone. He is the reason that you and I exist. He is the one who created you, who created your families, who created this world that you live in and work in and serve in. He created all the circumstances of your life. There is nothing that is outside of his control. Nothing that is outside of his ability to hold together. And so he holds you. He holds you and your families and your jobs. He holds your purpose and your meaning. Anything that you might be anxious about or afraid of, he holds that too. Even our own bodies, even in our sufferings and our trials that we endure, even our fears and our anxieties, Paul is saying, all of that, Christ holds it. And he holds it because he gave his life for you, his creation, to make peace. To worship Him. Worship the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. During the week, don't give your worship to something or someone else because you believe you will find fullness in it. Because you won't. You will only have fullness in worshiping Christ. You will only have peace through Him and through His cross. But the blessing is that you will have joy and eternal life through him as well. Because when we look to him, we see what we will be made into, full and perfect and complete. And so until then, let us, with the confidence that Paul will say later, say the same things that Paul says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let us cling to that. Let us cling to our Lord, because in him all things hold together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Father in heaven, as we come to you, we lay at your feet all of our burdens, all of our anxieties, and all our worries. Lord, and we confess that you are our Lord. We confess that we have no other Savior except Jesus Christ. May you fill our hearts. Give us confidence and peace in Christ, knowing that we have everything through him. Walk with us, Lord, that we may trust you and be at peace. And may you continue to heal us and give us endurance as we run this race so that we may, at the end of it, Lord, see you face to face and worship with you and rejoice because you are our good God. It is in the name of our Lord 
and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.